Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. As Matt just mentioned, we have a breaking news story to tell you about. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just a few moments ago, apparently. We have very little information available. We're uh, remembering 9-11 this weekend. 20 years ago, we all remember exactly where we were and how our lives changed forever. Our very first guest was in the thick of it in Washington, D.C., and we're so happy to have him on our show as our very first guest. He's the former press secretary under George W. Bush. Let's welcome in Ari Fleischer. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be with you. We wanted you to walk us through that day. I mean, everybody remembers exactly where they were on 9-11, but you were in it. First of all, take us behind the scenes of that day when it all started. Well, my job was to accompany the president pretty much everywhere he would travel. And so I was with him in Sarasota, Florida, for what we all presume would be a very routine day. Uh, The president was launching an education initiative that fall time when children are going back to school to focus on the importance of reading and education, particularly for minority students. So we went to a little elementary school in Sarasota, Florida, a very minority oriented school to listen to first graders and second graders read school books. And just as I was leaving the motorcade, I got a page. And back then, we didn't have smartphones. It was an old-fashioned pager. And an airplane hit the World Trade Center. And it was sent to me by one of my aides back at the White House. And my first reaction was, this has got to be some type of terrible accident of some sort. Maybe it's a small aircraft. I just thought accident. I did not think terrorism. Walk us through when you put it all together. There were 19 hijackers that took control of four airplanes that morning. Did you find out after the first plane hit or when the second plane hit when you knew that we were under attack? As soon as the second plane hit, I got a second page. I was some 20 feet over the president's left shoulder in that same schoolroom. And the page said an airplane hit the second tower. And I instantly knew it had to be terrorism. In about 30 seconds, I don't know, a minute after I got that page, Andy Card, the president's chief of staff, walked in and interrupted a presidential event and whispered in the president's right ear. Right, right. Second plane, second tower, America is under attack. And it was from that moment forward, Pete, that the world changed for me. And I just knew this had to be terrorism. And the motorcade on the way to the airport, the third plane hit the Pentagon. And when we boarded Air Force One, the first thing we were told was that there were six unidentified aircraft still in the sky. So we thought three planes have hit their targets. There's six to go. That means nine. The fourth plane, when it went down, the first word we got aboard Air Force One was the plane went down near Camp David. Now, Camp David is in Pennsylvania, about 100, 150 miles away from Shanksville, where the plane did go down. And now four planes were down and we thought five to go. So that's how the day started to unfold. It wasn't until the president got to Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska in the afternoon that he was informed about the identity of the hijackers, the 19. That's when the CIA was able to get to brief the president, get a hold of the manifests of all the flights. The FBI was able to do the same and make the links that people who were on board the flight uh, have been, in several cases, known terrorists. 
Ari, how difficult is it because we're all human beings and you're in it. Now, all of a sudden you have to divorce yourself from the emotional aspect of this and start very quickly crafting a message to get out to the American people. The most interesting for me looking back is how unemotional September 11th was for the president and for all those around him. We had a job to do. And our job was to be level-headed, to be calm. And I, I guess I learned something about myself on September 11th and all the days going forward that the, the worse things got, the calmer I became. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but I learned that about myself on September 11th. So you, you just couldn't, you couldn't cry. You couldn't get upset. You couldn't have lows. The country was depending on you and we all had to do our jobs from the president on down. How do you triage the information that you're getting? Because so much is coming at you so quickly. And regardless of the fact that you didn't have smartphones like we do today and tablets and instantaneous access to information, you're still being bombarded by everything. How do you prioritize that? Well, let, you know let, me, let me add to that too, Ari, because um, you took detailed notes that day. Was that normal for you? Because you post a detailed account of what happened on 9-11 every year on Twitter on September 11th, but you took detailed notes. Was that normal? Well, it's normal for me to take notes. Anytime I'm in the Oval Office, when I'm with the president, I'll take notes. That way I have a reminder of what the president talked about. I can inform my staff. So when I make divisions of labor, I can say to my staff who handles economic issues, here's what he said about this. My staff who handles agriculture issues, here's what he said about that. So I always have done it. On that day, though, I was particularly detailed. I wanted to get verbatim quotes because I recognize what an important day in history this was and being a firsthand witness to history. Uh, and I knew I was going to get called on to say everything. What did the president do? What, what was his reaction? So I really became a chronicler of what the president did that day. Um, but, you know, the lesson is from a communications point of view, and this is true for anybody in government at a time of crisis, but doesn't matter what line of work you're in. When there is a breaking crisis, you have to one, remain calm, and two, have the proper element of patience because you've got to wait to see if the information holds up. Right. The world of information comes at you as fast as it does. Often information is going to be wrong. And there was a lot of wrong information that came our way on September 11th. There was reports on TV that said there was a car bomb at the State Department that the mall was on fire, that ANGEL, the code word for Air Force One, ANGEL is next, that there was an unidentified aircraft heading toward the president's ranch. All of that information turned out to be wrong. And so you have to take your time before you rush out and report every detail that you've heard, because otherwise you're just passing on what could be bad information. And that can create panic, that can create a sense of things are worse than they are. And there's a terrible, terrible tension between the press demanding to know it all, hear it all immediately, right. and the need for the government to be selective and somewhat slower in releasing information so you don't put out information that you legitimately were told, but it later turns out to be wrong. Well, you took me right back there because uh, I was on the radio at the time and the information that was coming in, I didn't know what to believe. We're talking to Ari Fleischer, the former press secretary under President George W. Bush, Tell me the protocol when America's under attack. Did we have a plan at the time or did you guys make it up behind the scenes? 
Well, there was no protocol for being attacked from within, a terrorist attack like that, just in terms of our military, for example. Our, our radar, our military bases, they're facing over the horizon. They're not facing inward. And so there, there was an issue of radar, technical matters like that. The ability of our fighter jets to be armed and take off right away. You know, we were at peacetime. Soviet Union had collapsed. So there are issues like that. On the other hand, there's the planning issues and the process issues, which the government is actually pretty good at. The ability to have the right people in the right place together under the bunker at the White House, that happened. Uh, the ability to reach people from the White House on video screens, that happened. What did go wrong, though, was the communications aboard Air Force One. I mean, amazingly, the communications for the President of the United States, for the Commander-in-Chief, were poor. The phones kept cutting out. What? Really? We didn't have TV for significant parts of where we were flying on September 11th, TV reception. Now, all of that has subsequently been upgraded since September 11th, lesson learned, but that went wrong on September 11th. So you're a press secretary and you're trying to get the correct information out to the American people through the press. But you also become more or less a diarist, much like in the book, The Splendid and the Vile, where you have people such as yourself taking those detailed notes for history. Yeah. And years later, I, I, I inadvertently started to tweet things that happened on September 11th. What actually happened was I bought an iPhone. So it was better than my old Blackberry. <laughs> <laughs> I took pictures with it and tweet them instantly. And so I have in my wall at my office, several photos of September 11th. So it was September 11th, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. And I took pictures of the photos that were on my wall and I tweeted them. And I noticed it got a really big reaction. And that just kind of caught my attention. So the following year going into September 11th, I started to really plan. And I took out my notes. I found a lot more pictures of September 11th. And I just decided I was going to relive that day in live time, as if those events were unfolding again. And so my notes said, you know, seven o'clock, woke up, Sarasota, Florida, 8.15, boarded the motorcade, 8.45. And I told the story and the reaction was immense. I still, to this day, I'm shocked that it was such interest and note to people. And I relived the day in its entirety from morning to night and did it in live time. And I've done it every year up to this year. So people could relive what I went through, what the president went through, what those of us around the president went through on September 11th. It is so compelling. I noticed it years ago and every year we used to read it on the air. And I thought to myself, why not put Ari on the air this year? And you can tell us firsthand. But uh, I'm going to take a break and I want you to take us behind the scenes. You were on Air Force One, correct? Yes. And they had, uh, there was also people in the bunker at the White House and you had some communication problems, but I want you to walk us through what it was like with the president of the United States on 9-11 when you were on Air Force One. We're talking with Ari Fleischer. Ari, what's your Twitter so people can uh, follow you? At Ari Fleischer. At Ari Fleischer. Very simple. More with Ari Hi, coming up next. can you please tell me what you saw and to give me any information about what's going on there? Yes. I saw a big, I heard a boom, looked up, and there was a big ball of fire. I'm now looking north at the World Trade Center, and it is the West Twin Tower if I'm looking north. And you can hear the fire engines and the emergency crews behind me. And it is unbelievable. When the fire first burst, it was a freaking air like I've never seen or seen any fire like this in the air. And the pieces of the building were flying down. It looks like it's like the top, I can't even tell you, maybe 20 floors. 
intense smoke. It's it's horrible. It, I, I I can't even describe it. Now back to Pete McMurray. I want you all to know that America today, America today, is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. I get chills every time we play that every single year. We're talking about former press secretary under George W. Bush, Ari Fleischer. Tell us about that speech. Was that impromptu? Walk us through that. Totally impromptu, unplanned. That was September 14th, 2001. The president went up to ground zero. And the plan was for him to shake the hands of the rescue workers, the people working on the pile, and just to show that solidarity that the president supported them. But the crowd wanted to hear from the president. You could kind of feel it. So one of the um, advanced people found a bullhorn, gave the bullhorn to the president, and there was that burned out fire truck. Standing on top of it was a retired fireman, Bob Beckwith. President went up there and Bob said, let me, let me get down, Mr. President. And Bush said to him, nope, you stay right here. He draped his arm around him. And the rest was really up to the crowd. When that crowd said to the president, we can't hear you, we can't hear you president knew what to say. That is one of those seminal moments in history, Ari, that I think it needs to go into the books. It needs to be talked about and dissected and taught because that's what any president should do, regardless of he or she is Republican or Democrat. That's a galvanizing moment. Yeah, it really summed up the mood of the nation at that point. When he said the people who did this will hear from all of us. That's what America wanted to know. That's what America wanted to hear. We demanded justice. And, you know, earlier I talked about September 11th, you know, it was the militarization of America. It wasn't because the government militarized America. It was because the American people demanded that justice be brought to those who attacked us. Our country is always like that. We want peace. But if anybody ever messes with our country, we want justice. And we want the world's most powerful military to deliver it. Take us through uh, Air Force One when you were up in the air during 9-11. What was that like? How much tension was going on? What was the president like at that time? Well, he was frustrated. He was frustrated by the lack of communications, by the fact the phone kept cutting out. But it was intermittent. And so he was able to give the authorization to go to DEFCON 3 to authorize the shoot down of fighter aircraft. He was able to start to collect information uh, about who may have been behind it. Uh, at that point, early indications were Osama bin Laden. But this is, again, is another one of those instances where I could not on September 11th or nobody from the White House could have gone forward and said, this is Osama bin Laden, because we did not know 100 percent sure that day. And you can't be wrong when you're the White House accusing somebody of attacking our country. Sure. 
But then he, he went to Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska, and that's where he was able to convene a meeting of the National Security Council on secure video. And more information started to flow in about uh, who it likely was, uh, and also the extent of the damage and the loss of lives in New York and at the Pentagon. We got about two minutes left. I wanted to ask you about uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. The war started with President George W. Bush. President Biden said we're withdrawing our troops after 19 years. And it seems like we lost control of that country as soon as he made the announcement in about 10 minutes. What yeah. went wrong in Afghanistan? What went wrong is American presidents got tired of trying to convince the country that we could stay there with a small, limited amount of force and not fight a war. And so this phrase forever war got invented, even though it wasn't our war and we weren't really fighting a war, but we were fighting on behalf of somebody through supporting them. Once we pulled the support out, they thought America quit on them and they quit on themselves. And I think that's the lesson. Could America have stayed there just as we do in Korea? Could America have stayed there just as we do in Germany and other places around the world where we've been for decades without fighting wars, but in a support role to deter our adversaries? And now we'll have to hope that our adversaries don't regroup in Afghanistan. We can't plan that they won't because we're not there anymore. We have to hope that they won't. Ari, just for a brief second, I'm going to put on my press secretary hat and tend that I'm in the current administration trying to craft a coherent message. And I hear this word occupy come up quite a bit, but that really wasn't our role in Afghanistan, was it? It, it was much like where we have military bases all over the world. We were simply there to support what was already on the ground, correct? The initial mission was to remove the Taliban from power and to make sure that they could never come back and plan attacks on us. That was the mission. It did turn into supporting the Karzai government because it quickly became clear if you want to continue to be successful, you're going to have to have a strong Afghanistan that can fight these guys so we don't have to. And that's where things started to get complicated. And that's where American presidents got tired. But ultimately, it turned into we had 2,500 troops on the ground. And that small number were able to provide air support and training for the Afghan military who lost 50 to 60,000 of their own fighting the Taliban. They fought them valiantly to what's essentially been a standstill until we left and they collapsed. Ari, you're the best. Thank you for coming on. We got to have you on more. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Good, good to be with you guys. The uh, former press secretary under President George W. Bush, Ari Fleischer. You can check him out on Fox News. Thank you, Ari. Thanks, Pete. Thank you.